Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of My Black is Transnational. My name is Dr. Kalechi Bay Lamberts, and coming up on this episode, I'll be having a conversation with Dr. Gerald Onuoha, who is the founder of Everybody vs. Racism, a movement that started in 2020 after the killing of George Floyd. We'll talk about his experience as a Nigerian-American, his transnational influences, and how they play a role in creating this push against racism, not just here, but all over the world. But before we get into that, let's go through our formalities. If this is your first time listening to My Black is Transnational, you can find this podcast wherever you like to listen to your favorite podcast. Please be sure to subscribe and download and take a moment to binge watch some of the past seasons. We are in season four. This is episode 10 of season four, so got a lot to catch up on. Also, you can follow us on social media. We're on Instagram at Black Transnational Podcast. Same name on Facebook. And on Twitter, we are at MBIT. You can also check out our whole website at www.blacktransnational.com if you want to just get a feel for how everything works. It's a one-stop shop. You can listen to episodes there. You can check out information about our guests. Um, You can just learn more about how this whole thing started and where we're headed. So please feel free to support and check out all of those platforms. Well, so to get into the episode content for today, um, I have always been trying to get in touch and the man's a busy man because dr gerald onuha is a he's an internal medicine uh, physician um like i said he's very active in this community he has everybody versus racism um, and so many other things that he's heavily involved in as a leader in the community uh, so you know this was a, a great opportunity for me to talk with someone that again um i've seen from afar and just seen the things that he's doing but i was very intrigued and very curious about how his transnational identity as a Nigerian American born of a Nigerian father and American mother, how his role and his experiences dealing with racism, bias, and stereotypes and discriminations, how it played a role in in creating everybody versus racism, what his upbringing, um, what his upbringing influenced um, as far as his perspectives go. So we had a very rich conversation and it just kind of went back to this very important thing that I took out of this conversation, in addition to everything else that was great, which is Onuoha stands for Speaker of the People, right? At least that's how he defined it. And it was very cool to see how him representing that name and what it meant and how he takes that name to the next level as far as not just being the Speaker of the People, but now leading the people into this movement which is everybody versus racism, right? And bringing that to the fold and using that as a way to not just bridge the gap across the various races, but even bridging the gap intraracially among black people in our respective communities, whether it be black immigrants and African-Americans who are descendants of slaves. So we had a very rich, powerful conversation, gets very passionate, gets very, you know, just, just real. And I hope you all enjoy the content of our discussion. Um, so, Without any further ado, let's get into the show. Enjoy. Welcome to season four of My Dad's Podcast, My Black is Transnational. You can find this podcast on anywhere you like to listen to your favorite podcast. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Enjoy the show.
What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of My Black is Transnational. And on this episode, I have on here Dr. Gerald Onuoa, um, who is a, an internal medicine physician, physicist. Um, he founded the, the Everybody versus Racism campaign that you all may have been seeing all over the internet. Um, and, you know, just doing a lot of things for our community, representing Meharry, representing TSU, right? Doing this thing and, um, you know, just another most important thing, a fellow Nigerian brother. So welcome. Oh. Welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm I'm good. It looks like uh, COVID is getting a little better. So I'm, I'm starting to get a little more time now. So. Yeah. Man, I can't complain, man. I'm blessed. Yeah, man. I, I was glad to have you on because I know you've been doing a lot, um, as you just mentioned, with COVID and, and, and you being in internal medicine. For those who don't know, you're working with a lot of people who are within that at-risk community, um, the older, the older, you know, aging population, so to speak. So, I mean, just thank you for the work that you've been doing uh, for our community. Um, so really appreciate that. But before we get into it, of course, I want you to take a moment to... Um, introduce yourself to the listeners. Let, let everybody know who you are, what you, you know, what you, where you're from, where you represent, and then we'll get into the conversation. All right, for sure. So my name is Dr. Gerald Onoha. Uh, I grew up in Huntsville, Alabama. Um, I went to Tennessee State University and for undergrad, Meharry Medical College for medical school. I did my graduate work at Dartmouth College. I came back to Nashville, Tennessee, to practice internal medicine. I've been uh, one of the doctors running my COVID war for the past two years. Mm -hmm. And I'm also the founder of Everybody Versus Racism, uh, an organization that try to help bring people together through love and unity and also break down the barriers of racism mm -hmm. that's going on in society so that we can make the country and the, basically the world a better place. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I dig that. So first, you just, you know, you just touched on something as far as um, yeah. bringing uh, raised in Huntsville, Alabama, right? Yeah. What What was growing up like? And I say that because, again, you know, you being Nigerian American, For I'm sure. curious to know what your experience was like growing up in Huntsville, Alabama. Absolutely. So, you know, I, I had a unique experience, okay. you know, from most people because I, I grew up in two households. My dad is Nigerian, so I spent a lot of time with my Nigerian family, and my mom is African-American. Yeah. And so, like, you know, growing up, I was always considered to be too American to be Nigerian and then too Nigerian. The, the, the Nigerians would say, oh, uh, this is a country boy. Mm. And, and my American friends would be like, this person's an African booty scratcher. So, so, I mean, I got hit on both sides. But one of the things that I did like about growing up that way and that dual you know, that dual national, that transnational household mm -hmm. is I got a chance to see uh, a, a larger scope of black people and how black people are. Yeah. And so, like, I, I enjoy the the rich culture and confidence and mm -hmm. and like discipline of, of Nigerians, but also the the emotion and the resilience and the toughness of African-Americans. So I got, I got, I'm all wrapped up in both of those yeah. things. And so yeah. it was an interesting experience. And it's because of those experiences that I learned growing up living amongst, you know, uh, both Nigerians and African-Americans that I am the person I am today. Yeah. Yeah. And so what's the like Nigerian community like in Alabama? Because, and I'm oh. saying that because like, 
for me growing up, right? And yeah. you know, I I'm from Chicago, right? And yeah. I'm born in Nigeria, came here at a young age, but I'm from Chicago and it's like conversation we used to have was like, bro, Alabama? Oh, we're not going there like why we you know, like ah, ah, go for bid like Alabama <laughs> like so it's so interesting to hear that the Nigerian community there because we always find ourselves wanting to be in these cities like New York yeah Chicago sure. so yeah so so one of the things about Huntsville I think that it's a best kept secret is Huntsville is one of the most technological places in the country mm. that they, they, they have more um doctors and engineers than most places in the country and the reason why is because they have uh, a lot of colleges there most notably alabama and which has mm-hmm. one of the the best physics and engineering programs and we also have nasa and the military there mm-hmm. so of course naturally a lot of nigerians are into the sciences engineering yep, yep. medicine things like that yep. so it brings it brings in a lot of Nigerians into the city. So there was a strong culture, uh, uh, a Nigerian culture in Huntsville. And so, uh, we didn't, we didn't miss anything, man. Every, everything was there. And so when you think about, when you think about Alabama, you think about dirt roads and horses and cows, and we got that for sure. (laughs) But Huntsville is a little more city. It's a little more city than most places. If I, if I would have keen it to anything, I'd say, it would be a smaller Nashville. Okay. Okay. And yeah. So like, like it's it's still country, but it got a little city swag to it too. Okay. I can dig yeah. that. I'm and and I like the way you framed it as a best kept secret because I can tell yeah. you right now, bro. Like people who are listening to this who've never, like, they're probably like, what? Dead ass? Like seriously? So it's, it's it's I'm glad that you're sharing that. So then another interesting thing you just brought up, and I and I'm thinking about it because I you know my son is essentially going to have a very similar experience to you because he, my wife is african-american and i'm nigerian and i yeah. think about you mentioning you know i've had many conversations on this podcast about the two african to be american two Americans to be african but it's yeah. interesting because you said you know growing up even though you had that you were still called an african booty scratcher right and it's yeah. like man I, I i honestly would have said i would have felt like you would have avoided that because you weren't coming like fresh off the boat like me and some other first generation so to speak or yeah. 1.5ers so like how did you how did you have to respond to that um you know whether who did you rely on or did you just have to like you know weather oh, the storm you know one one thing my mom was very supportive and she was very understanding mm. and you know i remember Growing up, I used to I used to go to the boys and girls club. A lot of Nigerians that went there too, yeah. like the boys and girls club, and after school, and yeah. you know, kids would be calling me African booty scratcher, and you know, or, or some type of African name, yeah. or ask, ask me if we lived in huts because of, not not because of the way that I look, but because of my last mm-hmm. name. Yeah, and you know, like they see a last name, it's not it's not like a Jones or a Smith or. Uh, a Richards or a Johnson, mm-hmm. and they're like, oh, okay, this person is an African, mm-hmm. even though I'm speaking very proper English, you mm-hmm. know. But I remember one specific time I went to my mom, and I was like, you know, they they called me names at home, uh, um, you know, at the at the boys' club mm-hmm. or like, you know, wherever wherever I was, and she was like, you know, uh, some people just don't understand. Mm-hmm. And then she 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 did something for me that I take with me everywhere that I go. She said, "Do you know what your name means?" Mm-hmm. And so, Onoha means the speaker of the people, the the mouth of the people. And so, she said, you should be proud of that. Mm. And even though they don't know what it means, you know what it means. So, mm. like, their 
their their intentions and their jokes are misplaced. But I promise you, when you get older, you're going to appreciate, you know, knowing the meaning of your name and where your where your people come from. Yeah. And so as I got older, middle school, I still got joked on high school. I still got joked on until yeah. I got into college. Yeah. And then all of a sudden being a Nigerian was cool. <laughs> so I'm like, bro, where'd it come from? Such a such a real transition, bro. And like being able to know where your where your people are from, you know, where you know your you know at least half of your family mm-hmm. where they're from gave me that confidence that I needed to be like, oh man, they just call me names. It ain't gonna last long. It ain't gonna you know be that. And so and so that that thing gave me that you know that that hard shell that i needed to actually push through that and you know nobody's complaining now so you know no issues at all bro you speaking i mean you you covering a lot of things i was even gonna bring up because that's a common theme right a lot of us got to college and it was like yo it's dope to be african now like afro beats everybody out here rocking you know never would have thought and you know you know like my mom my mom's of course, her last name is 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 American, mm-hmm. and and we 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 had these conversations, especially me and my family, not just my mom, but but a lot of my family. We always had these conversations of you know, not knowing where your people are from or who your people are because you are a descendant of a slave. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm 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 a I'm a descendant of a slave also, right. and so like being able to reach back and see your roots gives you uh, a lot of perspective, like. Because it's, it's very difficult to know where you're going if you don't know where you come from. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you know, I always encourage people whether or not, you know, you have, um, you know, African last name or not. If you're of the African diaspora, you are from Africa. Excellent. Always going back and try to figure out, like, where your people are from, yeah. what your name really is, like, what, what, what region of Africa your people come from. Because that'll tell you a lot of uh, about yourself. So. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, have you been? Have you been back home to the to Nigeria? The crazy thing about it is, I was supposed to go two December's ago, uh-huh. bought the ticket and everything, and then the pandemic hit, mm-hmm. and so I haven't been able to go yet. But hopefully, I'll be there this December. Oh so. man, you're going over at yeah. the right time, Deti December, yeah, man. man. It's it's lit. I- it's a vibe. No, that's why I keep. I it's keep a hearing vibe, that. bro. You're gonna love it. And uh, I'm the I'm I'm the only. I think I might be the only sibling. Like I my sibling, I'm the only person that hasn't been. Oh yeah, so, they gonna take yeah. care. Of you. They gonna take care of you, bro. You're you're, yeah, you're yeah, good. Bro. You're in good hands. So that's I, wait, man. I'm I'm ready to be around my people for sure. Yeah, and, and you know, man. So because because you you just brought up that idea, I was definitely gonna speak on like when you got to college. Cause I yeah. know that you also, you know, you pledged the black fraternity cap off the side, right? When, when, when did you cross? Uh, I crossed spring 05. Oh, okay. So you two years, you two years above me, man. Um, I'm, I'm yeah. spring 07, you know, Iota Phi Theta. Uh, no, 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 I'm like Iota Phi Theta. But as okay, far as like, I'll, I'll, yeah, yeah sure. I'm spring, I'm spring 07. So, um, yeah. So, I mean like, so again, right. So you, you know how to navigate and, and you knew how to like navigate both worlds. Right. And you know, sure. when you get, when you become Greek, and you're African too, like a lot of your your ships, they start to be a little bit more curious about the culture. You get to be a like you, like you said, Onuoa. You get to be a, a speaker of the people. You get to represent and, and give them a little bit of exposure to um to the culture and then the African side that some of them may not have gotten. You know what I mean? So that's that's awesome. And so like, what, okay, so let's let's kind of shift to the the creation of everybody versus racism. Okay. And, and what influenced that? 
So <clears throat> I started Everybody Versus Racism um, shortly after the killing of George Floyd. Mm. I was, at the time, I was the only African-American male physician in my hospital. And um, and when, when I was rounding on patients mm -hmm. and, you know, Everybody, you know, everybody in the hospital, you take a break, you go, you get on Instagram or you, whatever your social media of choice, and you try to see what's going on in the world while you're trying to clear your mind to go see the next patient. And I opened up Instagram and I saw the video of the killing of George Floyd. Mm. And I was so, I was so flabbergasted by it. Like I was so shocked by it. I watched it like 10 times straight. And so I was like, this is this is outrageous. So I went to like where the doctors and nurses lounge is, like where they meet up the nurses station. Mm -hmm. And I put the I put the the video on the big screen. I said, I want everybody to to watch this. And you know, you would hear some gas in the background, you would hear some, you know, some people saying, Oh my God. And I said, you know, nowhere in America should this happen. Mm -hmm. No, no person should be no unarmed man who's not a threat should be killed in the middle of the street like he's being lynched. Mm -hmm. And so, and so, you know, that was the first time I had ever seen bias kick in shortly after someone seen such an atrocity. Yeah. You know, some people were asking, well, what did he do? Did he kill somebody? Did he rob a bank? Or did he rob the store, et cetera, et cetera? You know, kind of already putting judgment on him yeah, before yeah. any of the information came out. And so, but there were other people who were like, no, this should never happen anywhere. So I went to the CMO of my hospital and I asked him if he, if he had an issue with me talking about race in the hospital, like having conversations with some of my colleagues, because I could tell that some of my colleagues had not been exposed to black people as much as, you know, as some people may have, mm -hmm. and me being a black physician, I'd already experienced some type of biases yeah. and, and racism. Yeah. Not not so much from my colleagues, but from patients of and course. things like that. They just never seen a young black doctor. Yeah, I'm a I'm a young black doctor. I'm vibrant. I'm wearing Jordans yep. every day. Like I'm wearing Jordans in the in the hospital. So like they had never seen that before. But after talking to my colleagues. Some of them came to me and said, you know, I will never understand what it means to be a black man, to be a black person in this country. And, you know, some of some of their things that I don't know. But what I do know is if the things that you're saying are true, it shouldn't just be black people against racism. It should be everybody against racism. Mm -hmm. And so from there, I said, you know what? This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to bring some of my colleagues together by making a T-shirt. Mm -hmm. And so I made a T-shirt. It's everybody versus racism on it. I think we made like 25 and, and I mean, we literally ran out of all of them in like an hour. Everybody wow. wanted one. Wow. And so the next day, uh, I went to my brother. I was like, man, let's, let's see if we can make some more, uh, t-shirts because a lot of people in my, in my hospital want them. And we saw all those too. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh man, we got something going. Yeah. And so, we started to say, okay, if we're gonna if we're gonna do this, we have to actually put some put some some force behind this campaign. Mm -hmm. So we started having conversations around the city uh, about racism and started talking to people about how we break down barriers of, of racism and where we should start and what it should look like and who should be involved. Mm -hmm. And so what I learned from there is like most people are good people. Yeah. 
Most people. Most people. But the world has this mechanism where, you know, you 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 put a bias on a person from whether it's from slavery or discrimination or, you know, some type of socioeconomic component in it. And that makes things a lot more uh, complex when it comes to race. Mm -hmm. But if but what I've learned is every single person wants the same thing. They want to have a have shelter a way to feed themselves, mm -hmm. take care of their kids, mm -hmm. feel safe in their neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And so if you can meet people on that baseline level, everything else will basically fall into place. Mm -hmm. But it takes people having conversations. Because when I was having conversations with, with a lot of my colleagues, they didn't know about some of the atrocities that were happening to black people. Mm -hmm. Like they had heard about slavery and, you know, they 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 said, well, slavery is over. So these things shouldn't be happening. They didn't know they didn't know much about the civil rights movement other than Martin Luther King, you know, yeah. had a dream wow. that that's that's the most I, for some people. That was the extent of what they knew. And another thing that shocked me was they didn't know about a lot of the atrocities that happened in healthcare with black people. Yeah. Like, yeah. So they didn't know about the Tuskegee experiment. Yeah. And these are doctors. Yeah. Yeah. These are doctors and nurses. Yeah. They didn't know about the Tuskegee experiment. They didn't know about Henrietta Lacks. Yeah. They didn't know about the experiments that that so. black people were going through and how they were dealing with the healthcare system, or how the healthcare system was dealing with them, yeah. or how discriminate being discriminated against when it comes to the access of care, or quality of care. The whole field and, of gynecology was built off of experimental. A hundred percent, and that was one of the conversations that we had. Like you know. A lot of the science that we have now, especially in obstet obstetrics and, and gynecology, mm -hmm. were done off the experiments of slaves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, like, when you tell a person that and they know you, they know you to be credible, they know you to be a good physician and a solid person, mm -hmm. then it makes them start to wonder whether or not the things that they were taught are not taught, you know, is the right thing to do. And that's how we've gotten this large following yeah. uh, of people who, who want to be involved in everybody versus racism is teaching them what, what's going on, especially amongst black people, but not just black people, everybody. everybody. And then making this stance that it shouldn't be just us or the minority groups against racism. It should be everybody against racism. Absolutely. And so now you've gone you've kind of evolved from just being, you know, a t-shirt to now a larger movement that sure. involves, you know, encouraging consistent dialogue and I, even even uncomfortable conversations mm -hmm. about about issues that relate to, you know, being anti-racist, you know, um, and, 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 and fighting it and addressing it. Um, so, like, I, I wonder how what what do you what do you have planned moving forward as far as like are you doing more like community engagement are you thinking about doing more like like what's passive programming active programming how, how else do you want to continue to move this forward well no that, so, so that's a good question so the thing that that me and my team we talk about all the time are the phases of anti-racism mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. and so that there, there's no way that you can uh effectively have community engagement without educating people about what's going on. Yep. And so, you know, we go into communities of all all colors, all creeds, all backgrounds, and we just talk to people, meet them where they are. We don't make it about race. Mm -hmm. We don't make it about anything. We just say, 
we're just normal human beings trying to be good citizens. But we also teach them about some of the things that are going on. We tell them what the problem is. First, you got to you got to let people know what the problem is. Mm -hmm. In this country, everybody is not free. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's just the truth of it. There are there are institutions. There are people who look at people based off of their color and put them at a certain level. And those people can't get out of that space because there are mechanisms that are blocking them from advancing. Like and so when you tell people that most people, most people are unaware of that. Mm -hmm. And so they say, well, this this can't be happening because this, this, this and this. And the law says this, this, this and this. But then you show them the numbers and the statistics. When you look at the incarceration rate, mm-hmm. that's a statistic. When you look at look at the quality of health care, that's a statistic. When you look yeah. at education, yeah. that's a this statistic. When yeah. you look at real estate, that's yeah. a statistic. Yeah. When you when you when you look at the 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 data that's been shown about how my about the number of minorities that are discriminated against, at least the way that they document it, how many people feel like they're not getting a fair shake. When you look at that, the numbers don't lie. People may lie. People don't. can say what they want, but the numbers don't lie. So educating people on that, and then you're going to get a group of people who say, well, what is it that we can do? Yeah. And so I always tell my team, my group, I say, before we tell people to engage in these community events, we, we have to give them the algorithm of what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And so, and I had to do it for myself too, because the truth of the matter is, Kalechi, we all have bias. Oh, yeah. For sure. Regardless. And so the first thing I tell people is check yourself first. Check your own personal bias. Is that thing that you said about your neighbor correct? Mm. Did you stereotype this person? Did you put them in the box? And then you got to check the people around you. Mm -hmm. Are y'all having conversations about unity, togetherness, about community, Mm -hmm. about being your, your brother's keeper, being your, uh, the best neighbor? Or are you saying you don't want that person to be your neighbor because they're black yeah. or because they're Muslim yeah. or because they're gay? Yeah. Like, what is what is the conversation that you're having? And in having that conversation around your home, what about having a conversation outside of your home? When you're at work mm. or when you're in the country club mm-hmm. or when you're at the bar, are you being inclusive? Are you clutching your purse because you see a black man in the elevator? Mm-hmm. Or are you saying... Okay, maybe this person is a human being too. Maybe he's just trying to get to the same place I'm getting to, and he's not trying to snatch my purse. Mm-hmm. And so, when you look at that, that that algorithm of checking yourself, checking your environment, checking your free spaces, and then going out from there, then that puts that puts this this force field around you. Like, okay, this is an anti-racist environment that I'm creating. Yeah. Now we can do the community work. Yeah. Now we can get out in the streets and say. Okay, I see this young child. He's in the third grade. He can barely read. Oh, well, we need programs yeah. to make sure that people in this community can read. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I'm, I'm walking, I'm running down the street in my affluent neighborhood, and I see a homeless man at the bench, and he's asking me for $5, not because he's a drug addict, but because he's hungry. Mm-hmm. Okay, we need a program to make sure that people in this community can eat. Mm-hmm. And so those are the type of programs that we're building. We can create things. We can create programs to say, "Oh, don't don't be racist, and you know, don't discriminate." And we are doing those things, but it's more important to put boots on the ground and making sure that people get 
the resources that they need to have an equal plan. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And the build that equal plan field is to make sure that I'm not looking at this person as a less of a person, yeah. especially because of the color of their skin yeah. or the con contents of what they believe or their orientation or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I love how you just broke that down for the listeners because you know, that's something that even for me as, as a public health professor, I teach as far as when you're doing community work, you have to be able to get the buy-in, right? In order for right. you to get the buy-in, you have to provide the resources and the education to be able to let the community know and feel like they can do it. You have the things you need to make that change. And then because if you just came in and just dropped the program and just how do you sustain it? What's what do they you know, if they don't feel like there's any ownership in it how do you how do you sustain it so if y'all decided y'all right. want to move to another community or you know focus on another community you need and you left you know this community how are they going to be able to keep it going if they didn't feel like it was right. theirs you know what i mean it's so waited to like you can give a man a fish or you can teach him how to fish facts so like if you teach if you teach people how to fish then they can fish anywhere Anytime. and so if you teach if you teach a person how to be anti-racist, how to be, you know, a contributing factor to a more unified society, yeah. then they will try to unify every society that they belong to. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's the thing that I try to keep in the back of, of my mind. And it's from, it's from history, right? Like, I've experienced racism before. Yeah. I've experienced bias before. Yeah. Not only from people who weren't my color, but people, but my own people too. Mm -hmm. And I guess that that's the... That was the unique thing about being a true uh, uh, a Nigerian American. Yeah, that I felt bias and racism from my own people. Yeah, I'm glad so you brought I, that up. I'm glad you brought that up. I'm glad you brought that up because that was going to be literally my next segue, mm -hmm. which is just you know we've talked about racism, but a lot of times people. I was going to ask you how has the response been from your Nigerian side. And the reason uh -huh. I say that is because I'm, I'm definitely speaking up from my own personal experiences is, you know, a lot of my people, whether they were here in America or even back in Nigeria, is just recently, right? Like after George Floyd and hearing some other things that they started to really be like, oh, wow, America's racist. Because most of the time, the mentality used to be that the black people here are just lazy, uh Right, yeah. they're not doing it. They always complain about racism, racism, right. but they don't want to actually go and work. They don't want to do school, right? And it's like so you start to see that now, okay, people like it's just not recently like family members of mine are just like, oh wow, this is really messed up. Like, did you know? I never knew that the United States had you know looked at black people as three fifths of the human being. Like it just now, I'm getting calls from family. So I'm wondering, you know, the conversation definitely needs to continue even in our own black communities. 100%. Because that divide is still there and people still are, you know, looking, they're still looking at the other African-Americans as whether you're, you know, beneath them or you're just, you don't have true culture and blah, 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 blah. So that those racist ideas, as you know, Dr. Ibram Kendi would say, are still very, very present. Absolutely. And it's being perpetuated by our own people. Yes. And so the, the, the thing and this is what I'll tell my Nigerian brothers and sisters. When, you know, when my dad and, and his siblings came to America, you know, they came they came with nothing for sure. Mm -hmm. But they came with no with no no physical possessions, but they came with their culture yep. and they came with their confidence 
And they were told that if they work hard, that they can have anything that they wanted. And the thing that they did not come with was the institutionalization and the burden of slavery. My mother is a descendant of a slave Mm. and a group of people who went through 400 years of slavery. And that's not just do what I tell you to do. I'm talking about psychological warfare, psychological imprisonment. And this is documented Mm -hmm. up until recently and even to this day. There is a blockage of descendants of slaves because no one has it has it is it's so difficult to go beyond that slave mentality because it's been so indoctrinated in us. So so one thing that that I definitely want to say is African Americans definitely have culture. They are the most resilient people on this planet. Ever. 100%. Ever. They are some of the toughest people on this planet. Some of the most beautiful people on this planet. The thing that's that's harming them is the fact that they've been in this imprisonment for so long. Mm. And the best thing that they could, that, that we all could do as black people is to give African-Americans grace, be able to allow us to figure it out Mm -hmm. and allow us to come together as an entire group and move forward. Because if no person is a, no, we're, none of us are good until we all are good. Exactly. 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 None of us. That's it. That's it, bro. Like, and, and this is what this podcast is about, because the idea of my black is transnational, it really speaks to that unification that we all need to come back together. Right. Because I think the work to me, I, I say this not as a as a declaration, but just as what I believe is my truth, that the world doesn't really really want to see what happens when all the, the black people unite back and become one. I mean, the, the, we've seen it through these institutionalized systemic processes that there's there's intentional division between us that's been there. And it's, I mean, because as you just broke down, you're talking about your mom and her, and her family, your side of the family, that side of the family, 400 years. Like people make it seem like it's nothing. 400 years? Bro, that's like a that's, long that's a long ass time. My, my grandmother picked cotton. Come on. My mom's mom picked cotton. That's crazy. Like, she had a 10th grade education. It's not that far away. It's not that far removed. You no, get me? It's not, not far removed. It's not that far removed. And people sometimes disconnect from that and, and they tend to be desensitized desensitized to that because it just feels like, oh, that's 400. No, no. Like, it's there's still people who still, like, my, my father-in-law is right in the next room yeah. and he can speak to his you know, grandparents and his grandparents and what they did as indentured, yeah. you know, like not indentured servants, but sharecroppers. You know For what I mean? Sure. And 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 so like that, that whole thing blows my mind. But one of the things that I really want to to know is how do you think, in your opinion, I, I'm, I'm all about making sure that we create exposure and make sure that our African-American brothers and sisters have an opportunity to reconnect back with Africa and have the best of both worlds because they built they built America. They're entitled to the rights and benefits of America, but they're also entitled 
to being able to understand the blessings of being back to home, go home and, and, and know where your roots and know are. Where your roots are. So you hit you you hit the nail on the head before I was gonna say this one thing. I was I was gonna say, you know, we have to be able to give African Americans grace and we can't buy into the uh the the fallacy that African Americans are lazy because you cannot forget that it's African Americans that actually built America. They, they built it. They and built so, it. you know, that's like that's like having having uh uh you know your contract, the construction team build your house and then you say, Oh, this person is lazy and they just built you right. a million dollar mansion. Right. That and and so like we have to remember that the reason why, you know, people of color, minorities, mm -hmm. have the rights that they have is because there were African Americans who were willing to lose their life. Yeah. Yeah. So yep. that they could be free. Yeah. And so my dad came to this country free as a bird. Because of the Because sacrifice. there was an African American willing to lay down his life yep. to fight for that freedom. Yeah. And and that's powerful, bro. And that's a, and even to add to that point for those listening is is also to understand when we talk about this divide. I always try to remind people, especially those who are from like Nigeria and Ghana, like when we talk about these those countries were liberated and they gained their independence around the 1960s. Ghana was probably a little earlier, right? This was around the same time the civil rights movement was building up. And I always try to remember that those leaders that are very revered in Nigeria, in Ghana, and, and some of the other parts of, of, of um, the colonized Africa, they came to America. Their influences were from these civil rights leaders, and they absolutely. took that. They took that mentality. Yeah, they took Martin it. Martin Luther King. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you know, even we can go back to WB the Boys. You know what I mean? So it's like, so the it's boys. so yeah. th they're thinking about it. Nice the, they they make it seem like you know we don't they, they, we we can't work together to make that change when it's been happening because they our our you know the forefathers the, the predecessors they they peeped it a long time ago and it's 100%. it's now time to start like you said we got to start unifying we have to reconcile you know we what I mean we have to reconcile and, and give each other sure. grace so that we can For be sure. able to make that change bro. For sure, as a young as a young man, I know you want to talk about something else. I, I'll, no. I'll I'll brief. But as a young man, when I was going through college and in med school, one thing that I, I realized, and I had a chance to be a part of both groups. Mm -hmm. Like when mm -hmm. in med school, the Nigerians would get together, they would study with each other, they would help each other. Mm -hmm. Would see an African-American struggling, mm -hmm. did not feel the sense to help. to help them. Yeah. And so it would be me that would go to that African-American and be like, hey, man. This is how I'm studying. This is how I'm doing it. This is how yeah. we're doing it. Blah, blah. Yeah. When we could have easily, as a group, embraced mm -hmm. that young man, that young woman, yeah. and made it that much stronger. Because when, when we all win it, we Everybody all Everybody eating. Everybody eating. There's enough food in the table if we all just share the all food. There. It's not going to run out. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And you know, it's so interesting. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, bro. No, no. I always think I always think about this um, this story that I was I was talking to this old Nigerian man. Mm -hmm. This oh he 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 had to be in his like eighties and nineties, and I forget what village he told me he was from, but he was saying something to effect of like in his real in his very small village, everybody used to bring the yams to the to the middle of the the village on this one day, mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter if you 
if you had five yams or if you had 50 yams, nobody knew how many you had because everybody just put it in the middle. But when all of it was there, everybody ate. Everybody ate. Everybody was full. Nobody was, you know, everybody took home leftovers. Nobody was like, oh, this person got more than me. This person got less than me. Mm -hmm. Nobody did that. Mm -hmm. And so I always think about that when I think about like people of the African diaspora. I'm thinking, or and, and people in the world in general. It's yeah. like if we all just put in the yams, not looking to see who has what, yeah. then everybody's gonna eat. Everybody's gonna eat, bro. And 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 it's, that's powerful. I mean, we're having such a powerful conversation. And even to your point about that that anecdote you just shared about medical school, right? So my wife's a pediatrician, right? Okay. And so when she was going through medical school, she used to share very similar instances where it was like the Africans were on that side. Right. And yeah. like and, and the African-American and, and it wasn't that many. Right. And it was they were on that side. Right. And so she found herself not even I mean, not really having true conversations or being able to even get feel like she was getting um, support from people sure. who look like her. Right. Because it was like, oh, no, we don't we don't mess with your type of people. So it's, it's a very interesting thing to see that there's so many people who are going through that process in, in medical school, which is not easy. <laughs> like, it's not an easy not, thing to do. Yeah. And the fact that, and you're talking about first generation, right? Like, people who are just getting there. When you have, if we're talking about other, you know, majority groups who they have, ooh, they have aunts, they have, you know, uncles and aunties and other resources that can if support. Their father was a doctor. Right. Dad is a doctor. All the siblings are doctors. First generation. You're the, you're the first doctor, not even in your like generation you're the first doctor in your lineage yes because the people before you were slaves yes right and then you got the africans who who are kind of in a similar situation right and they, they just don't see it they don't see it enough to help each other and that's the part that we have to continue to put together and that's where brothers like you and me you know but even with you more so than me because i'm an immigrant but you are of literally of both worlds i had to immerse myself and and learn and really consume it and empathize to be able to truly feel that you know because there are lots of people from you know who have similar backgrounds that just chose not to learn about black history you know what i mean but like for you i feel like this is how you and what you're doing and even with the the name the power in the name that you hold right being the mouth of the people right you can bridge these gaps because you are you represent the best of both worlds bro and and that's what being a transnational can be for black people is that we can continue to bridge these gaps and and then we can cross it together and go back and forth and get what we want to benefit and help us however you want. You need to get some from Africa to help us move move forward. Let's go back to Africa and help it move forward. You Absolutely. want to continue to utilize, you know, the resource in America to help Africa move forward. Let's do that and back and back and Look. forth. That's what we need to do, bro. That's what I believe. And, and so, <clears throat> looking forward, mm-hmm. the thing that it, okay, let me start here. Mm-hmm. Looking backwards. And then looking at where I am now and then looking forward, looking backward from where I am now, being a part of both worlds, I can tell you beyond a shadow, a shadow of a doubt that we're all the same. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. Yeah. Like LeBron James has the same DNA that you got. Mm-hmm. 100%. Burner Boy DeVito, same DNA as that young boy trying to read that book in third grade. Mm-hmm. 
we got the same DNA. We are the same people. The best way for us to move forward from my view right now is to be able to, one, like I said, give each other grace, Mm -hmm. learn more about each other, spend more time with each other, and then invest in each other. That's it. Because without the investment, nothing else matters. So when I, when I, when I started, I started a program in medical school to help disadvantaged students get into college and from college into medical and dental school. And so I wasn't discriminating between African or African-American. I put them all in a group. I let them all work together and we all rose together. Mm-hmm. And so if we all work together and we all rise together, we will continue to be able to elevate because we can stand on top of each other, lift each other up, yep, build each other up, yep. make sure that we all have the resources that we need. And that that will give our ancestors a lot of pride and it actually will give our communities, our society, a lot more pride. Yeah. And in addition to that, it's the American dream. It's the American dream. Yeah. yeah. We're all together. Yeah. I mean, bro, that's that's honestly the best way we could wrap this up. Um, because I think that's what that's that's the that's the charge. That's the charge right that's there, the man. Charge. That's the charge right there. We can all achieve the American dream. Um, sure. But bro, I just want to thank you um, again for the time. This was a dope discussion, man, uh, and, and I hope that we could do it again. But before we before we wrap it up, I want to give you an opportunity. How can people be able to you know follow you and continue to support everybody versus racism and all the other things that you're doing? What we just share share your information so that we can uh, we can be able to continue Absolutely. to support. So uh, you can follow everybody versus racism on Instagram. Uh, our website is everybodyversusracism.org. Mm. My Instagram is Dr. Gerald Onoha. Um, and um, we got a few projects coming up. up. We're doing a, a Feed the Hungry project called Everybody Eats. Mm. And uh, we're, we're, feeding, we're feeding people from disadvantaged backgrounds, people who, who have been affected by home insecurity, food insecurity mm. because of COVID, lack of education, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So that will help out a lot. And of course, where are banners? Yeah. Like, this this hoodie that I'm wearing, I wear it all the time because it starts a conversation everywhere that I go. Mm. And so in starting the conversations, we start to build this this universal tribe that we're trying to bring together to make sure that we're breaking down these barriers of racism yeah. and that we're bringing people together and that we're addressing our own personal issues. Yeah. And so, like I said, the, the, the country has has some work to do. But black people themselves also have a lot of work to do yeah. with ourselves. Yeah. And so get, getting a Everybody Versus Racism shirt, T-shirt, a hoodie always makes a difference because it's that conversation starter. And I mean, I've never been in a place wearing this shirt where a person didn't say, hey, let's talk about this shirt. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I definitely need one of those. So best believe, sure. I'm, best believe I'm finna put it put. Bro. appreciate it appreciate it. i definitely finna put that order in uh and, and don't and even i, I want to pay for it full price because i want that money to go where i know it's gonna go yeah. um so I, I, I already know so um yeah man dr gerald onua man um onuoha let me let me get onuoha, that right yeah. yeah onuoha so let me get that right um just want to thank you again for 
jumping on man this was this was amazing um i i appreciate it and again just know there's anything that we could do here on my black is transnational that i could do to support if you have programs anything that you need us to circulate don't hesitate to reach out to me bro we want to continue to see see all of us win all of us can eat um and we could do it you know just one action at a time man we just gonna build an institution as we continue to climb and lift each other up absolutely let's invest in each other absolutely Thank you so much, bro. Appreciate it. Sure. Yeah. We hope that you enjoyed this episode of My Black is Transnational. If you like what you heard, please be sure to subscribe and download this podcast on any of your favorite podcast listening apps. If you'd like to learn more about this entire operation, you can check out our website at www.blacktransnational.com. You can follow us on Instagram at Black Transnational Podcast. You can follow me, the host, at Black Transnational underscore. And check out our Facebook at Black Transnational Podcast. And we are on Twitter at MBIT. Thank you so much again for listening. Until next episode, my name is Dr. Kalichi Bay Lambert. My Black is Transnational. And I hope by the end of this, yours will be too. Peace.